1: Yeah, it's the Nick D podcast. I am your host Nick degilio, and uh, this is episode number 126 of the Nick D podcast here at RadioMisfits.com. Hope everybody is well. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. Please spread the word and check out all of the amazing podcasts here at RadioMisfits.com. There are a ton of varied and entertaining and informative and funny, really great podcasts, an unbelievable network of podcasts, so make sure you check them all out, and please take the time to rate and review us and give us feedback here at RadioMisfits.com. I have a second podcast on this uh, network, and it's called That Show Hasn't Been Funny in Years, an SNL podcast, which is a -a um, once-a-week podcast, which drops uh, every Wednesday, brand-new episode. Every single episode is about Saturday Night Live in some capacity, Um, And I've been an expert um, and, and, you know, freak about Saturday Night Live uh, since the very first episode in 1975. And uh, the latest episode features my my friend, my future ex-wife. The wonderful Dana DiLorenzo from Ash vs. Evil Dead, and she used to be on Craig Ferguson's Late Late Show. She's very funny, did a lot of stage work here in Chicago, was influenced a lot by Saturday Night Live, and we talk about the stuff that she loved from Saturday Night Live and what influenced her, and we play back some clips and uh, reminisce about her childhood watching SNL. It's a great episode. It's a lot of fun, and the podcast is really, really terrific. Even if you don't like Saturday Night Live, I'm real proud of it. You should check it out. That show hasn't been funny in years, an SNL podcast, one of many great podcasts right here on the podcast network of uh, Radio Misfits. My thanks to Ed at Radio Misfits. My thanks to Jason Skaggs, who does all the audio, the crazy stuff, the music, the sounds, all that cool stuff. You want to be a part of this podcast? You can, as a sponsor. You got something you want to advertise with us? We reach a lot of people, so it would be good if you did. So advertise with us anytime you want. Be a sponsor. Sales at Misfits.com. Write us now. You want to be part of the Nick D podcast in general? Our voicemail system is open 24-7. We want to hear from you. We want feedback. We want response. We want to hear from you. We want your voicemails. We encourage you to call 24-7, 773-417-6948 for any and all voicemail uh, conversations or uh, anything uh, contributions. Also, if you want to leave a message for your megaphone message request, do that. You can drop us an email, twenty four seven nickd podcast at gmail.com. We read all the emails. We listen to all the voicemails, and many of them we read on the uh, on the podcast and playback on the podcast. So please be a part of it. And if you have a magic megaphone request, of which we have one two three four every day uh we want to hear from you is there anything you want me to say into the magic megaphone a special message a joke lying from a movie anything you want in that magic megaphone we play it back we tell your story and you get to be part of the podcast as well again voicemail us 773-417-6948 email us nickdpodcast at com. So there you go. Coming up on uh, this episode, I am unbelievably thrilled to bring to the first time on the podcast, but not the first time that I've interviewed or hung out with this person, Bill Janowitz, who is one of the founding members, lead guitarist, lead singer of probably my favorite band of all time out of Boston. No, my favorite band of all time. They happen to be out of Boston, not my favorite band out of Boston, although they are my favorite band out of Boston, (laughs) if you want to be specific about it. Uh, Bill Janowitz, uh who is an old buddy of mine, uh, you know, obviously the leader of the incredible band Buffalo Tom. Well, he has, um, you know, started writing. He started writing, I don't know, uh, 15, 16, 17, 18 years ago. Um, and he's on his third book. And it is a biography on Leon Russell, who we'll get into the details on who Leon Russell was and, and the importance and the contributions that he made uh, in music in general. But he's written, Bill has written this incredible book about Leon Russell. It's called Leon Russell, The Master of Space and Time's Journey Through Rock and Roll History. It is a remarkable bio, um, and I'm so thrilled to, to, to have Bill on, not only because, you know, he's a founding member of the greatest band ever, Buffalo Tom, but because he's a great writer and a great guy, and this book is incredible. And uh, it's all about Leon Russell. So we're going to talk about Leon Russell with the author of the book, uh, Bill Janowitz. And, of course, Esmeralda Leon will join us. We do have a magic megaphone message from someone. Could be you at some point as well. Uh, We're going to taste some more Mexican candy. And we have more solutions to problems that only make those problems bigger. That's all coming up. Um, If you would like to be a part of the podcast, as I said, please do. We want to hear from you. And if you want to come out, uh, and I really suggest that you do, this Tuesday night, that is this Tuesday night, so it's only a few days away. If you're listening to this on Friday morning, you only got a few days. Get your tickets now. Rich Coe's Sven Gulli is going to be live with me and Esmeralda on stage as we do yet another fantastic Nick D podcast live from Zanies in Rosemont, Illinois. This is when we take our live po- our podcast. We do it live in front of the audience. We have fun with them. It's interactive. You are a part of the show. You could win some prizes. we got some amazing prizes to give away. We'll have uh, trivia, trivia. Um, we got little Easter egg prizes for everybody who's going to show up, and we just have a great time. It's filled with big laughs. We talk about a lot of the stuff we talk about on this podcast and lifestyle stuff. Big laughs. We record the whole thing. Uh, you will be part of a live podcast recording, but the special guest every month is always really cool. But this month, it is Rich Coz, a.k.a. Sven This is a very rare thing. This is a very special thing. So you get a chance to see Rich and meet him, and we'll talk to him for a long time on stage. It'll be a fun interview. We'll open up the uh, the questions to the audience as well. So if you've ever wanted to ask a question of Sven Guli, you ever want to hang out for like an hour and a half with Sven Guli in the same room, he's a legend. This is a big, big deal. So you should get your tickets now. And I, I got a lot of feedback from people saying that they want to come out, but the ticket price is a little hefty. Um, so we're going to do a deal. And uh, you got to do this fast, seriously, because the tickets are going. But I want to give a deal to the people out there who are like, man, I would love to come, but the price is keeping me from coming. Well, here's the deal. We're going to offer this special for you guys out there. Um, and uh, uh, if you if you order your tickets at um, rosemont.zanies.com, rosemont.zanies.com, and you go to the page where the Nick D podcast is, if you enter, you know, to order tickets, click on order tickets, and when you go to the little place, it'll ask you if you have a promo code. And just for the people who, who have been – you know, giving me feedback about, man, you know, don't have a lot of dough here, but I really want to come out and I really want to see Sven Gulli and I want to support you. Well, I mean, the tickets are flying, so you're going to have to get in there now, especially because of this. We're going to give you a deal where you can buy one, get one free. So you can get half price tickets, buy one, get one. So in order to take advantage of the buy one, get one price, you can type in podcast 23. That's podcast 23, P-O-D-C-A-S-T-2-3, podcast 23, and that's all caps Podcast all caps. So podcast two, three, type that into the promo code and you will get buy one, get one tickets because a lot of people are like, man, I'd love to come, but I don't have the dough and the tickets are flying. So we really want you to get in there. So if you really want to go and you're strapped for a little cash, this is just special for you guys. When you get to the promo code on the ordering tickets, when you go to Rosemont.Zanies.com. Podcast two, three, all caps, and you will get buy one get one. So that means half price tickets. So get your tickets now. Take advantage of this because the tickets are flying. Um, but we wanted to throw this special offer for fans of Riches who want to come out. So we want you to be there. Even you know, I, I know things are really ridiculously expensive at this point. Uh, so we wanted to to, to to make it accessible for everybody who doesn't have a lot of money. So buy one, get one. Tickets are available now. Go to Com promo code PODCAST23, all caps, and you can get your tickets. It's this Tuesday, March 28th. Starts at 7.30. Doors open at 6.30. Me, Esmeralda, interactive comedy, prizes, trivia questions, interactive, hilarious, comedy, and fun, and the one, the only, Rich Coe's Sven Gulli live on stage. Man, oh, man, you know who's excited about that. Hi,
2: I'm Carrie Russell, and
1: I love Nick's show. I know you do, baby. Okay, all right. Uh, so, please, we hope to see you on Tuesday night, uh, March 28th, at Zany's in Rosemont. Pack the place. It's going to be a lot of fun. All right. Uh, my old friend, Bill Janovitz, who is the uh, author of Leon Russell, the Master of Space and Time's Journey Through Rock and Roll History, joins me after I tell you that you need to be congratulated right now.
0: Congratulations you're about to listen to the nick d podcast it's by far the best decision you've made today it makes the other podcasts seem like crap oh yeah don't be a jagger
1: I'm up on the tire wire One side's ice and one is fire
2: It's a circus game with you and me I'm up on the tire road
1: Yeah, that is um, the great Leon Russell, um, who people might not be familiar with the incredible amount of work this guy did. His career lasted about six decades. He was not only a great composer, singer, songwriter. He was a great collaborator. He was a great session musician. Uh, and he led an incredible life. And that life is well-documented in a new book called Leon Russell, The Master of Space and Time's Journey Through Rock and Roll History. Say that in one breath. Uh-huh. Um, that's the title of the book. And the author is an old friend of mine. I like to call him an old friend of mine, who is uh, the uh, one of the founders and lead guitarist and lead uh singers of my favorite band basically ever in buffalo tom and he's also a great writer and i welcome him first time ever on the podcast the great bill janovitz bill how are you buddy good thanks nick thanks for having me that's my pleasure it's my pleasure um it's been a while since we've seen each other last time you were here in chicago you guys uh were here like in 2018 i think was the last time i think that's
0: right yeah 18
1: yeah boy great show though and you dedicated a song to me which i always find you know lovely (laughs) <laughs> I'm
0: glad, glad. to hear it. My memory's not so good. <laughs> no, no,
1: no. You did. It was. It's great. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but anyway. Uh, so, um, uh, Bill, not only the uh, uh, one of the founders of Buffalo Tom. You guys, uh, uh, just before we jump into the book, uh, Buffalo Tom stuff. Uh, you guys tour around a little bit. You play locally a lot. I know that. Um, are you guys going to get back into the studio and do some more stuff, or what's happening with the band?
0: Yeah, we've been we've been in the studio. We actually don't play locally very often. I mean, I, I do. I, I play solo in different iterations. But Buffalo Tom hasn't played around Boston since. Uh, it's been about a year and a few months at this point. Um, but we've got some things coming up. Yeah, we're playing in Lowell, uh, Massachusetts here. There's a little mini festival in April and then something in September, which we haven't announced yet, uh, also around Boston. But to answer your question, yeah, we've been working with Dave Minahan, who has a studio here. Uh, in Waltham, Massachusetts, outside of Boston, not far from me, and uh, Dave. Uh, many of your uh, listeners might know Dave from playing with the Replacements and, yeah. and Paul Westerberg, and the neighborhoods before that in Boston. So we're mostly done. We got to go in in May and finish. Hopefully, finish finish a record off.
1: That's great, man. Well, I'm looking forward to you. You know how big a fan I am, man. I, I
0: mean, do. You're so. one of our biggest, actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. absolutely.
1: Well, you started writing. Um, uh, well, I guess, like, the fir- I mean, the first thing you wrote was the book about exile. Is that correct? I mean, that that's like yep. your first venture into writing. That was back like 2004, 2005?
0: That would, Exactly. Yeah, right, right in there. Yep. For 33 and a third, that series of little books on, on records.
1: And you chose uh, Exile. That's your favorite record of all time? Exile on Main Street by the Stones? It's up record?
0: there. Yeah, yeah, I would say that's my favorite record of all time, for sure. Gun to Head. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, and then your second book, well, oddly enough, was about the Stones as well. And this was um, called Rocks Off, uh, and it was fifty tracks that tell the story of the Stones, and uh, and th- that's that was the next one you wrote.
0: Yeah, I mean the first one begat this one, it, it, uh, that one. So the first, this Exile Main Street, sort of led to the, obviously to the to the Rocks Off, which was many years later. So that came out in two thousand thirteen, if I'm not mistaken. And yeah, I, obviously I'm not a full time author, otherwise I'd be starving. <laughs> Um, (laughs) so it's uh, I sort of choose my spots uh, or they choose me anyway Um, I I didn't know I would be able to do another book necessarily after that uh, first one but an, an agent actually came up with the framework idea of doing 50 tracks to tell the story over their 50 that at that point, that was their 50th anniversary. Yeah. So yeah, that was that. And, and after that, I got really kind of serious about trying to find another idea yet. It took another, uh, almost what? Nine years to get, to sounds get like book. it. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. About nine years. But, um, so, and I love your, I love the other two. I love the exile book and I love 50 tracks. And, you know, we talked about them on, back when I was on, uh, on WGN, uh, we talked about them on, 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 on the show. Um, and what is it about the Stones that uh, that do it for you, man? Uh...
0: Uh, I mean, I just—it's how do you describe something that's always been there? Really, it's sort of like the—it's it's asking what what do the Beatles do for you? I mean, it's just song—it's the songs, and and then it's the attitude and the and the way they're played. For for me, the differentiating—I love both, obviously, the Beatles and the and the Stones. But for me, the differentiating factors are the Stones uh, sort of finding that groove and and the drive i mean you know the beatles were, were could could do a lot of that as well but i don't know it just comes down to songs you know and they, they grabbed me it grabbed me as a really young kid i had i had come into records uh i was not I, I didn't have any older brothers or sisters but a neighbor uh gave me a couple of records from their collection for some reason uh highway 61 revisited by dylan i mean i'm talking about being eight years old and and, yeah. and hearing that and out out of out of their heads out of our heads the stones rather yeah. um so i was in early and 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 i never i never looked back I, I both i mean it's weird listening to highway 61 at the age of 8 in particular but uh, <laughs> it, it it had that same kind of bluesy r&b drive you know very yeah. rock and roll and the words were just there to keep dis- discovering and rediscovering and figuring out uh which i still haven't done over all these years
1: yeah it's funny you and i are around the same age and um I started listening to this stuff at a really young age. I remember the first album that I kind of became obsessed with, and I mean at like five. Um, besides, I got into when I was a, when I was a young young kid, four or five years old. Um, Tommy James and the Shondells was like my my sure champion. those yeah. were those those were my dudes when I was a young kid. But something happened when I heard Zeppelin II. Like, when I heard Zeppelin II, I was like... I that's man, the what, devil. What the hell is... Yeah, that's what it is. That's the devil. I said, what the hell is this? I mean, you know, from Whole lot of Love all the way through, and I was like, wait a minute, what is this Moby Did? De- Why is there nothing but drums for six minutes? What the hell is happening? And yeah. I remember staring at the album cover back when you would put an album on and look at the cover, you know what I mean, for yeah. like a half an yeah. hour. Uh, and so at a young age. And at a very young age, um, my dad... Uh, 'cause i my parents were very young when they had me, they were in their twenties when they had me um and so you know when I was growing up they were into they were listening to the shit that was cool to listen to back then, and so we had stacks of forty fives and one of the forty fives that we played, my dad played over and over and over and over again was the song I played at the top of this interview oh awesome he loves Tightrope. It's one of his favorite songs of all time. And I remember it played constantly when I was a kid. Now, what year? That was early 70s. That
0: would have been 72, I believe.
1: Yeah. So I'm like seven at that point or, you know, something like that. Uh, Yeah. And, And my dad playing it constantly. And I'm like, who is this guy? And he's like, I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> which, which kind of sums it up, don't you think? Uh, yeah. uh Bill, doesn't that kind of sum it up? My dad loved this guy's song and he loved other things about him. Didn't know anything about him. And I think <laughs> yeah. you know would that be would that be kind of a true statement?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean for for sure for your father. Yeah, I mean he was uh the thing is he came <laughs> He seemed to come out of nowhere and he seemed to disappear, not overnight. I mean, he had, like, he was... Uh, well, let's put it this way. He he had... He, what people saw, he became a rock star. Uh, it started right around Mad Dogs and Englishmen with Joe Cocker. Mm-hmm. That became a documentary. It was an album made from a live show, from a live tour for yeah. Joe Cocker. There's a whole story behind that. And that really launched Leon into stardom, the the, the movie, but then quickly... After that, he produced a couple of Dylan tracks. He's the first outside independent producer to ever produce Dylan tracks. And then he went on to organize and star in the concert for Bangladesh for George Harrison which also became a huge album and a huge film. And those three or four things really launched Leon into becoming a gigantic rock star himself. I'm talking like you talked about Led Zeppelin. He he and Led Zeppelin had the top grossing tours. And I think he even out netted Zeppelin for, for, for a couple of years there. They were yeah. playing the same places, Leon Russell as a solo artist. Yeah. And that, he rode that wave until about the mid 70s. Uh, and he was on the first season of SNL, for example, with yep. his wife, Mary. Yep. So that started to, that's, but that's about the time where his career had sort of started to kind of go around the other side of the Hill. Um, but yeah, you know, a lot of folks, well, tightrope was a, was a bona fide top 10 hit. In it was. Yeah. 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 So, but you know, what all this rock stardom uh, belies is that you know, this overnight sort of success, uh, uh overnight, uh, <laughs> sensation is what I'm trying to say or overnight success. I'm trying to put both words together. Um, What that belied was it was just the tip of the iceberg for all the work that this guy had put in from like the late fifties until the early seventies.
1: Yeah, no, it's true. And it's all in the book, which I want to get to, but yeah, I mean, you know, like my dad didn't know who he was. And then suddenly we all knew who he was, like you said, for that time period. Now I didn't know that he like, as a kid, I didn't know he organized Bangladesh. I didn't, you know what I mean? I knew. And again, one of the, one of the, uh, artist that was played constantly on the you know in the vinyl Gillio household was Joe Cocker was constantly played. Like my folks love uh, Joe Cocker, and so th- his association with Joe Cocker was known. Um, but yeah, but y- y- you know it's like, and then like when Tightrope came out and it became like this top ten hit, he was not your average like he didn't fit the bill of a top ten kind of artist in any kind of way. Would you would you agree with that?
0: Well, it's interesting because I, I understand the 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 uh, impulse to say that, but if you look at the top ten uh, anywhere from like seventy or even earlier to you know about until about until until radio until really the FM radio started to take over uh, as a as a phenomenon, the top ten on AM radio was all over the place, eclectic. True. So you had True. like. You know, you had uh, you had the Bee Gees next to Charlie Rich, next to uh, it's just I couldn't even yeah. I couldn't even begin to give you the who was next to whom on the charts. It was crazy, you know. Yeah, but it was, wasn't. It was beautiful. That's it was what, we all love that kind of stuff.
1: Well, yeah, you and I, like I said, are around the same age. And turning on radio at that time meant exactly that. Like it wasn't relegated to one station. Like you know, your AM stations were playing every kind of music back to back to back to back to back, and it was reflected in the. Uh, In the top, you know, in the top, in the top hits. It's just to me that I don't know why it's, it just seems like, and I know it's not true. And having read your book, I know I'm full of shit. uh, But it's like, (laughs) it's like, he didn't seem like, like you look at this guy and you're like, how the hell is this guy? (laughs) You know, in the top, where does this come? The song is weird. You know what I mean? Like it's a, it's, it's, it's a weirdly kind of structured song. The rhythm is a little bit chunky and you know what i mean and yeah but it, if you think
0: of it it's well it's it's that sort of vaudevillean yeah. musical thing that the yeah. beatles had been doing already for 10 years you know so yeah. i mean in a lot of ways it fits right in with when i'm 64 or something like that um but yeah but his persona actually became the template for rock stars you know like you see leonard skinner and they're they pretty much took that look wholesale i mean his his look and 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 which was a, you know copped a bit from doctor john as well influenced by doctor john uh, the the two of them plus Elton John formed the character, the inspiration for the character Doctor Teeth of Electric Mayhem, the right, the, right. the Muppet. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, get, getting to the book here, man, and I just want to
1: say, I I think the book is astonishingly. And by the way, you know, I did I didn't I, I I'm I'm remiss in not introducing you as New York Times best selling author. That's
0: brand new off the presses, so to Bill Janovitz, yeah. and I
1: believe I'm the first interview that you've done since you've become. A New York Times bestselling <laughs> author, my friend.
0: Congratulations. Thank you very much. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's, in- it's kind of insane, you know?
1: It's, it is. Before we get into the content of the book and the life of you know, Leon Russell, I want obviously we're not going to cover it all because there's a lot in the book that I want everybody to read because it's so good. I just want to talk about you writing this book really quickly because this thing is a monster. It's a monolith, man. It is huge. And it's so different than the two sort of essayist things that you did you know, before, uh, kind of analyzing Exile and then, you know, talking about songs in particular, you know, tracking the career it's a, it's of the It's a songs. biography,
0: yeah. It's a first yeah, biography. This is like yeah.
1: a full-on biography. It's unbelievably well-researched and, like, thorough as hell. And just, uh, it, it is... And it's so beautifully written, and you know, I was telling you this before we started recording. I'm, I don't want to sound surprised, you know what I mean? Because, mm-hmm. like, it's so beautifully written. I know you're a great songwriter. You're, in fact, one of my favorite songwriters of all time. Um, but man, I didn't know you—you were—you had the capability of writing really engrossing, compelling narrative. Man, to tell the story of a musician, it's beautifully written stuff, man. Well, and,
0: thank you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the distinctions are the exile. Man, it was more of a personal point of view. The second one, like you said, is a bit more essayist. It's it's chapters that are linked through songs, but yeah, it's, it, but I'm telling you, I'm, I'm just using existing biographical information about the stones, but this yeah. one, this, yeah, this is a serious project and I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I um, it's, uh. You should have seen it before it was chopped down to the size I it's in. I bet, and that's what I, I want to talk a little bit about.
1: That, but but seriously though, just in 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 the simplest of terms, it's beautifully told. It's a page turner. It's compelling. It's 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 a beautifully written book, man. And and well,
0: thank you. And 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 yeah, I mean, the size of it uh, can be intimidating, but it, it's I I think we we aim to make it really readable. And when I say we, I, you know, it took me and a, a a small army of editors to to to, to turn it yeah. what it is. Yeah. I mean, uh, no. I, I, I exaggerate, but, you know, it took some help. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, I, and I think that's why it's doing so well, because, you know, here I am writing two books on the Stones, which didn't come anywhere near the the, uh, the, the New York Times bestsellers, as far as I know. Um, they certainly weren't on it. Uh, but here's a book about this f- still kind of obscure guy. I mean, even though he comes back with uh, Elton John and gets into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, he's he's, f- he's one of the more obscure guys in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, if you talk to even people like us that are grew up with, with him uh, with a top 10 hit And you know classic rock radio kind of Ignored him once that became yeah. a thing yeah, yeah, But yeah. yeah I mean for him to be In the top in, in this top you know Best list I think it speaks to Just a human story and the ability To for people to relate to I don't even necessarily have to know Who this guy was when I picked this up uh, to, to understand that he This is why the, 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 the cumbersome Secondary title comes in because it's like He is a perfect guide through Rock and roll history
1: Yeah, he is. And, okay, um, at at the beginning of this, what was it about Leon Russell, and when did you go, man, I got to write a book about this guy?
0: Well, you know, we talked about those years of trying to come up with another idea, and I I said I don't do this full time, so I'm not going to do, like, ghostwriting things so much, unless, you know, Mick Jagger calls me up and says, hey, Bill, I want you to (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Had (laughs) Bowie asked me, I certainly would have jumped on that. (laughs) But, you know, I'm not looking for those kinds of things just to kind of hustle and make a living. Uh, it's sort of like music. I, I just do it for the love of it. And and having a day job, you know, takes the pressure off of having to do stuff for not the love of it. So, you know, during those years of making pitches to my agent, uh, you know, we were kicking things back and forth. Usually I'd have a couple of glasses of wine. I'd throw out some crazy idea. But one of them was doing just a book on on the Mad Dogs and Englishman, you know, Phenomena, which was a tour, album, and a, and a documentary. Right. And to me, that encapsulates so much about what I love about rock and roll. A uh, 1970 tour, a bunch of hippies, one of the greatest bands of all time put together for just one tour, uh, great repertoire. And there's Leon at the center of it all. But my agent, to his credit, said, well, you know, it's a, I like that idea, but it's, it's probably a bit narrow in focus. You, you know, your next book should probably be something a bit more substantial and i agreed so another year went by and uh, i get an email from him peter who sa- and it says uh you said no to leon russell right and i said no i didn't say no to leon russell What's- tell me more and he said well the 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 estate is looking for uh you know somebody to to write a book about him and i said uh I, I instantly, it's like flashed before my eyes. I mean, the whole, I it wasn't just uh, Mad Dogs and an Englishman. I knew the contours of Leon's life and career. Like, I knew he had started off uh, as a teenager playing with Jerry Lee Lewis, in, you know, in, the, in 1959. I yeah. knew that he had gone to L.A. and become a first call session player with now what's known as the Wrecking Crew group of musicians there. I knew he had played on some key big hits for Phil Spector, for example, and the Beach Boys. And then I knew about the Delaney and Bonnie and Friends and Mad Dog scene. And then I knew very little. I knew about his, you know, I knew about Tightrope and I knew his solo career a bit, but it really was, and then then it sort of goes dark for me. And then I remember that tearful speech that he gives at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction after Elton John brings him back. So, I mean, what a story, what an arc right there. And that's, so I saw it as a writer, as like, Bam! I could write about everything I love about rock and roll, and and this guy's life, and I really want to know what happened after like 1976. Like, where did he go? I remember seeing his name playing at you know Johnny D's bar here in Davis Square in Somerville, or you know like these little clubs. Like, how did that happen? And and why did he go to the side of the road uh, in the ditch of the side of the highway of life, as he puts it in the speech? And so that was the compelling part to me, just a fun part to find out and. And uh, I I had no idea I would be able to get all these interviews uh, in the process.
1: Well, you got a ton of interviews, man. How did that? How did that? How did that start? What? What was your first? Like, how do you start to write something this big? And 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 was it going to be this big in scope from the onset?
0: Um, I didn't think it would be this big because I didn't know that the back half of his life, uh, those dark years, would be so compelling from a human interest standpoint, from just a human story, and so. I think part of it was being able to have the blessing of uh, his widow, Jan, who's this absolute sweetheart. Um, but honestly, I think it was just uh, I think sometimes that actually harmed it. Like I think people here authorized or cooperated with and they they don't want to talk about somebody because they, they think that, you know, it's they have other things to say. But that was ver- that was a, a small percentage of of people that actually turned me down. Almost everybody I called said yes, from Elton, Bruce Springsteen, Eric Clapton, Rita Coolidge, Randy Newman, Willie Nelson. I mean, it's that's just the tip of the of a 137-person iceberg that I have. Yeah. I mean, I, Stevie Winwood, I was just talking to my, James Burton, one of the great guitar players, a foundational pillar of rock and roll who played with Elvis Presley. I mean, it's just nuts. You know, I was talking to my record collection throughout this, uh, and I think part of it was certainly their influence um, from from Leon and their and their regard for this guy and the hushed tones that people in the music scene could sort of talk about this guy, like what a uh, uh, gigantic talent. But a lot of it had to do with just logistics. It was a yeah. pandemic,
1: and right. a lot of people were off the roads.
0: So they were yeah. able to get in touch with people.
1: yeah. Well, that was the thing. I was going to ask you, uh, just like, uh, when did you did you start writing this? I assume you started writing this before the pandemic. I, I assume you started putting it together for the pandemic.
0: Yeah, right around the beginning. So it was, I think, the spring before the pandemic. I, I had my first call with with Leon's widow, and um, I, I don't know when when in there the wheels. I mean, all those years are kind of a blur to yeah, me. Yeah, absolutely. Of course. But I yeah. was just hunkered down for the bulk of the pandemic doing it.
1: Yeah. And and did you find that was that was it easier to concentrate on it that way? I mean, maybe, you know, for some people, it's like, hey, the pandemic made me work better. Was that was that did did that apply to researching and putting this thing together? Like, I got no choice. This is what I'm doing.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I certainly Buffalo Tom would have probably been working on music during that time, but we did not. And uh, I mean, my day job kind of kept going. I sell real estate for some reason. That that I mean, you know, I know the reason. It it just completely took off around here, like in a in a in a in a lucrative way. That's the only thing that can, kept me distracted. I had nowhere to go. We had no vacations. We had, you know, yeah. like everybody else. Yeah. Um, if if anything, the only the only uh, distractions were that I had to find places in my little house to kind of sequester myself while the full family was kind of running right. around. And, and
1: that's that's in the dedication to the book, by the way. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, <laughs> yeah, I apologize to them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, it was talk- all all Leon all the time. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, man. You know, uh, well, it pays off because the book's extraordinary, dude. It really is. I got to tell you. Um, but well, let's start out now. He was born in Oklahoma. He was born as Claude Russell Bridges hmm. And for a long yeah. time, he was known as Russell Bridges. Right. When he was you mentioned back when he was working with guys like uh, Jerry Lee Lewis and things like that. Russell Bridges was the name he went by.
0: Yeah, he wasn't Leon Russell until he got a fake ID uh, in uh, in, <laughs> in L.A. to work.
1: Yeah, I love that story. <laughs> I love that story. And again, some of these stories like that one. How do you find that out?
0: Oh, that one was uh, pretty well known in the in the Leon lore. So uh, there was a, a few existing things. Well, there's certainly a good amount of uh, print interviews and uh, that he had given over the years and, you know, Rolling Stone, et cetera. Um, but he did start a memoir. It's very scant. It's it's very thin. Um, he, he, he'd never intended it to, for it to be put out in the in the in the uh, version that it's in, it was just little, little anecdotes that he had jotted down on his MacBook or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, but thankfully um, Jan uh, with a, a cooperation of some, some super fans of, of Leon's, uh got it together in a, in a publishable format. So you get a little bit of Leon's voice in my book from that. Uh, that was very beneficial to have. So, I, I mean, I think that's where he told the story or he told the story a couple of times over the years. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: Yeah, and and now as you were doing research like that, that period of time that is kind of a blur to anybody or or dark those dark days. Um, what were some of the stories, and how did you discover some of them? What were what, give me a couple of examples of like, oh my god, what happened during that period? Uh, what were some of the ones that were surprising and 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 maybe shocking or you know interesting to you?
0: Yeah, I mean the process for me. Was linear. I, I can only think sort of a little bit at a time in, in kind of a chronological way. I, I, I saw the contours, as I said. I saw the the three or four acts of his life uh, before me. But uh, I, you know, I I I I gave it like a courtesy reach out after I was kind of into the book a bit, I, I, I knew the word was getting around that I was writing a book amongst like the other musicians and stuff. So I didn't yeah. want them to necessarily find out from secondary source. Like, but I, I was, it, I didn't want to jump the gun and talk to people that that entered his life in like the eighties or nineties um, without knowing what context of the questions I could gotcha. ask. So yeah. I kind of, I, I, I took it year by year, almost like my outline, you know, was so, by the time i got up to the uh, the divorce from his his wife mary his first wife in like se- so she they married in about 76 and divorced in about 80 um then i started to find out about the family and his mental health issues which were not like debilitating uh al- although sometimes they were he had he did suffer from what seemed like uh, debilitating uh, bipolar depression. So he would re- really go through manic periods where he needed to work and, and would s- not stop working. And then he would crash for weeks at a time, yeah. if not, if not a month at a time. And um so that stuff was really compelling and then like what what were his choices and what were the what was what were the business machinations that that fell apart and why you know so you know it turns out he was just kind of a stubborn single-minded type of guy he didn't he he increasingly did not want to collaborate which was who he really was. I mean, he would collaborate with Willie Nelson. He would collaborate with uh, with a few other people. But for the most part, he gave up what were his strengths, in my view, which was being a band leader and an arranger and a born collaborator. But I think he had just burned out on so much. And this rock star persona that he became in the, the peak of his career yeah. this yeah—standing piano like a maniac, like a yeah. like a a, a preacher uh, with absolute uh, mass. Uh, manipulative type of charisma, which he was quite aware of and and knew the danger of and warned his audiences of. But that was just sort of a persona he, he had on for a number of years. His actual personality, I think, was much more taciturn, much more uh, introverted, and he had to overcome all that.
1: Well, I want to talk about some of the the accomplishments that, that people might not know. I mean, you mentioned so many of the artists that he worked with. But w- before we do that, um, y- you know, it's, it's Elton John who inducted him into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And the preface of the book is kind of about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, uh, uh, of which I am sometimes really like, I don't understand it. I don't know how it works. Like, this year is the first time that Warren Zevon has ever been on the ballot for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, which to me is just insane. <laughs> a, I mean, it's absolutely insane that he was never on the ballot, that he's not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I don't want to name other – I don't want to be petty and name other acts who are in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Bon Jovi. Uh, but um, that – aren't. and while he isn't. And it's one of those things It's like, how important is it for people? And you talk about that in the preface of the book about, you know, you set the book up where where it's like Elton John found him. And, and well, first of all, really quickly, what do you think of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame?
0: Um, I, th- as far as the institution, let's put the hall aside, the actual yeah. inductions and all. Uh, from an institutional perspective, the library, the museum, and the people that work there, I, I have nothing but a plus for, yeah. I, I think it's a fantastic resource. And the people there are true believers, true lovers and true scholars of the music. Uh, Andy Leach is one of my favorite guys. He's in charge of the library there. And, uh, I love it. Um, I love going there and, yeah. uh, I've been there twice. I've been there twice myself. It's great. Yeah, it really is. And okay. now the 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 idea of inducting people into a Hall of Fame, let, you know, if you're going to compare it to something, I mean, you've got the Sports Hall of Fames, which are, you know, they've got their controversies, but they're usually based in 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 metrics, you know, in, in actual numbers. Sure. With this, you, you, I don't think it I don't think it should exist in the form that it's in. And uh, it, I think that I love the idea of honoring people. um. You know award ceremonies, that sort of thing we can all you know, kind of argue about, but if you 're going to do this if you 're going to have a Hall of Fame, then you have to have some metrics you know yeah you have yeah. to but it's it 's a subjective art form i mean all right is it is it record sales I mean you know I mean even the people that are on the nominating committee, I think the head John Landau who I spoke to who's John, who's bruce springsteen 's manager. He doesn't even know. It's like there's only, there's only like the only criteria. He said it was deliberately left open. Okay, well, then it becomes completely up to the political and other whims of the people that are on this shadowy committee. Yeah, yeah, right, (laughs) right. Right. And um, so... All right, so if you're going to have it, then you've got you've to gotta be able to answer to why certain people are in it or, or are not in it, what constitutes rock and roll, first of all. Right. Uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. So we can yeah. waste all this breath on it. But so the fact that Leon was not in it was incredible, but he did a lot of disservice to his own career over the years, and he had kind of diminished his own legacy. So understood. Uh, he yeah. didn't do press. You know, okay. I mean, you know, you know, but then they kind of get so it takes years of lobbying by this first round ballader, uh Elton John, and, and and a number of others, by the way, to get him in there. And when they finally uh induct him, it's not as an artist, it's as what used to be called a right. sideman category, right. but they changed right. it for that year right. Right. into musical excellence or some bullshit, right. you know? Right. It's exactly. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. So but it's crazy because this, first of all, it, it does a disservice to the other session men because Leon was a session man, but he had he had left that behind in 1968 or something and became this gigantic artist. I mean, gigantic, wrote no fewer than, as I say in the book, four standards, uh, you know, a song for you, this masquerade, tightrope, superstar. I mean, I could kind of go on. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they kind of diminish his legacy by just putting him in uh, whatever. I, I see we've already. Yeah. You get me riled, up. I know. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> I, I know. I get riled, too. But I just want. all right.
1: Well, listen, because really, we're not going to be able to touch upon like, all of the relationships that he had and, and how he was affected by and how he affected a lot of musicians. But I, I do want to mention the Elton John relationship, because he was sure. the one who inducted him into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, brought him out of you know the, the, the bad place that he was in to get him inducted, and so on and so forth. What was it about that connection? What was it about the, the Elton John, Leon Redbone? Uh, I said Redbone. I do this all the goddamn time. Leon yeah. Russell, <laughs> What was yeah. it about that connection that was so important?
0: Well, um I think they were both uh, they were both on kind of the same type of tra- trajectory. So Elton John was already playing as, as a session guy and a and a and a band leader on the road so, or a a session guy on the road, I should say, a road uh, you know he's playing piano behind particularly American R&B artists who would come over to England and need a band. So he would do he was doing that. He was doing sessions much like Leon was. Um and then he hears the uh record that really changed a lot of huge uh artists trajectories uh, to use that word again uh Delaney and Bonnie and Friends uh, accept no substitute mm-hmm. and it's, it's 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 kind of a big shame that this band is not i mean they're they're well known in america certainly amongst rock and roll fans but not they've been a, uh, maybe forgotten to a, a great extent and it was a great band that had, you know, uh, Jim Gordon, who just passed away, um, yeah, some of the great drummers, Jim Keltner, Carl Radle, one of the great bass players, and Delaney and Bonnie Bramlett and Leon uh, who played, you know, blah, blah, blah. So they they did this record, Accept uh, No Substitute, which is actually their second record, but came out first, long story and uh Mm -hmm. so uh but Elton John hears this record um George Harrison and and Eric Clapton had come back from California at different times kind of talking about this band like all right the band the band had already come the meaning the band with Robbie Robertson and Levon Helm and those guys so that had brought music back to a certain point and really influenced a lot of these guys who had gone through psychedelia and other hard rock Um, come back to the roots and so Elton hears both of those records, in particular, the band and, and Accept No Substitute. But he, he hears he hears the piano work on Accept No Substitute, the Delaney and Bonnie record. And is he's, he's like, this, who's doing that? I need to know who this is. This is everything I wanted to be in a piano player. Yeah. In other words, he was kind of already trying to feel his way through that. Nicky Hopkins in England yeah. was doing a lot of this already yeah. with the Stones, The Who, and Kinks. So, uh, but he hears this and it's sort of like an absolute crystallizing moment for him. And apparently he gave the record to Joe Cocker and Joe Cocker's, you know, crew and, and music and band. And they go and find who Leon is, uh, get him on to Joe's second record. And that, you know, eventually leads to a solo deal with Danny Cordell. But I'm getting ahead of myself. But it's Elton. Elton finally makes his debut in America as an artist at the Troubadour. It's a famous story. Yeah he t- he tells it well in his in his own fantastic autobiography and it's uh, you see it in rocket man as well the great film yeah, and uh, love that movie man I love that movie too uh, I, I did it. not expect to love it as much yeah, as I too. did. yeah me too me neither yeah.
1: and especially after bohemian rhapsody i was like oh god uh, but no i i No, i hated it i hated bohemian rhapsody yeah, but yeah. i love rocket man i think they did a great job
0: with it i think they did a great job too so you see that scene where he's in the troubadour and he i think he sees uh leon in that film i forget yep. um, yeah yep. and he's you know he's so in 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 elton's telling to me he's like you know he's there he is he's He's got the long hair and the mirrored shades and I'm just f- almost frozen in place but I I carry on and, and and from Leon's perspective he's like well shit my my pre my 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 young career is already over this guy is doing everything I can do but better <laughs> and he's wearing all this crazy outfit he's so he kicked his ass with uh, yeah. a fire under his yeah. ass um but yeah and they become I mean Leon was already uh, quite big and and on his way up to even bigger things and he took uh, Elton John out on tour to open up and they did a bunch of dates together at Fillmore yeah. East and out in California, uh, all the way through the United States. And uh, so Elton really kind of credits Leon for giving a, plat- a platform to really take off yeah. and be the rocket man. And then their careers diverge. Uh, and uh, it isn't until about 08 that um, that Elton has this this revelation. But uh, there, there were some efforts behind the scenes to get Leon back to Elton's attention. And, and that that story is told in the book too. some yeah. some unsung heroes.
1: Unbelievable. Yeah. And it's all told in great detail. Uh, and also uh, you mentioned Mad Dogs and Englishmen. I wanted to just, uh, 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 we mentioned it kind of in passing and you were actually going to write an entire book about that. So we have to talk a little bit about that. Just tell everybody what that was and eventually became the steward in this documentary and who were the people involved. Cause it's unfucking believable <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So
0: Leon, so Leon went to Memphis on the first uh, Delaney and Bonnie record, which came out later uh, and, uh, met Rita Coolidge who would eventually become a gigantic star herself in the seventies. Um, but she was back then, she was just kind of a college student who wanted to break into singing. And she, she had a kind of a little bit of a hit song, a regional hit that actually, when she went out to LA following Leon back to LA as his, as his now girlfriend, she finds out that she's got kind of a little hit out there on the radio. Mm-hmm. And so they lived together for a while. He's doing some other projects Including the Delaney and Bonnie stuff because um, she fell into the whole Delaney and Bonnie crowd, which was basically kind of a, 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 a almost like a, a commune as much as a, as a band, you know. Yeah. But it was it was made up of just all these people that loved each other and loved making music, and some of the elites. Yeah, I mean, back then nobody knew who Jim Keltner was, or maybe even who Jim. I mean, Jim Gordon was certainly known amongst the studio pros. He was going to be the next like sort of he was the next sort of Hal Blaine, who was one of the first session. Yeah. And, and Earl Palmer is like the most in demand drummer who plays on some of the biggest hits and you, 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 you grew up with. Um, and it became a tragic story. But before we get to that, um, you've got uh, two different drummers at different times. Uh, you've got Bobby Whitlock, basically Carl Radle, who's the one of the great bass players of all time, the, basically the the band that became Eric Clapton, uh, Eric Clapton's Derek and the Dominoes. But before even that, they became Eric Clapton's band on his solo debut. I mean it was basically a Delaney and Bonnie record with with Eric Clapton singing Delaney's parts, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh so Leon was doing all that stuff. I'm sorry to, you know, ramble here, but no. he, he he uh <laughs> Uh, Joe Cocker, as I said, here's this record. Uh, Joe Cocker's producer, Denny Cordell, who was already a, a millionaire, ha- having j- scored gigantic hits with "Procol Harum" and "Moody Blues," comes over with Joe. Now Joe is his sort of baby here; that he's really kind of getting Joe's career off the ground. And they get Leon to plan a couple of, uh, of tracks for his second album, Cocker's second album. And Leon invites him back to his his house the, the next day, which was a full full-blown professional studio in a house Mm -hmm. and he plays them a couple songs that he's just written delta lady a hello little friend and shoot out on the plantation among them and they're blown away you i've i've heard the tape i've heard the demo tape where they're talking back over the talk back it's just an amazing document
1: wow and
0: uh so cut to a couple months later joe needs to tour in america but he's he's trying to blow off a tour which he's already booked and he's, you know, he's dealing with people in New York with sort of heavy connections <laughs> in the underworld and other yeah. And, yeah. And above yeah. ground yeah. Yeah. and the yeah. union, which is, yeah. and, and, which is saying, you can't bl- just blow off all these dates. Well, you'll never play in America again. Um, so he has an emergency situation. Leon, he turns to Leon, whose who's, who's house he would happen to be staying in at the, at the moment, and says, can you help me put a band together? Well. Leon doesn't just put together a band; he puts together one of the greatest, ex- most expansive rock and roll bands of all time, a, like yeah. a rock orchestra. Yeah. you've got you know you've got Jim Gordon, you've got Jim Keltner, you've got Chuck Blackwell on drums, you've got Carl Radel on bass, you've got uh, some 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 guitar players you wouldn't na- remember the names of, but Don Preston, amazing guitar player, uh, a choir that included Claudia Lanier, Rita Coolidge, uh, and uh, just. 12 people in the choir alone. You've got, you've got yeah. some of Joe's band in there. Chris Staton. It's a gigantic band. And it's all captured on the Mad Dogs and Englishmen record. And really, uh, interestingly, in this documentary film, the concert film, yeah. Mad Dogs and Englishmen. So yeah, it was, uh, to me, it's one of the great bands of all time.
1: Without question. Without question. And I just have here um, uh, 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 just a, a list of albums that, that Leon Russell uh, contributed to. So, I mean, this is insane. Mr. Tambourine Man the Birds, laughing on the outside Aretha Franklin, Um, Summer Days and Summer Nights, The Beach Boys, Beaten Soul, um, uh, Everly Brothers. Uh, You've got Frank Sinatra, That's Life. It's unbelievable. Uh, George (laughs) Harrison, straight up, bad finger. He worked with Bad Finger. He's on Let It Bleed uh the flying burrito brothers jj kale i mean just the the not only just the the amount of talent uh, that is represented by those albums but the different styles and how Mm -hmm. all over the map the kinds of music is and this guy is a constant in that what was it about him where he was able to do the great stuff that he would do but in every kind of genre of music
0: yeah, well, he came up as a classical uh, sort of almost prodigy. I mean, he, he was a prodigy, but he had a birth injury on his right side that a lot of people mistook for his through his life as polio because he had a pronounced limp. And he was a natural left-handed player, But his 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 right hand was not quite to the strength of like where he would have been regarded as one of the great all time uh, child prodigies in classical music. But he sure could play rock and roll and he could play gospel and he could play. So he kind of grew up as a musical sponge, as 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 many musicians do, just taking it all in. And he was uh, by the time he was 14, I mean, he kind of go through all the school band stuff. He played different instruments, but piano was his primary instrument. So by the time he was like 14, he was playing clubs in Tulsa because it, they were, it was an ostensibly dry state. Right. So there was no, <laughs> right. yeah, there was no laws keeping out teenagers from playing there, even right. though there was booze to be had. That's right. And he had, and he had plenty of it. Uh, so, so, but he's playing, you know, supper clubs in the evening, and he's playing sort of lighter jazz. So he's he's playing that. He's, he already had the classical background, but then at night he's playing rock and roll because he loved Jerry Lee Lewis and and Little Richard and Chuck yeah. Berry. So he became all that. But then he goes to L.A. and he's got to like he he was he was intimidated by all the sessions that they were asking him to play. He, He would try to beg off certain things. And Herb Alpert, I talked to, he told me, you know, a, a pretty typical story that other folks said the same thing. It's like Leon would come in there and really not. He would just be like, I, I don't think you're. I'm the guy you want. I think you want somebody like Billy Preston to do this organ part or so and so, yeah, to do this kind of more classical part. And and and, and, th- and again, in a typical kind of story, Herb would say, Don't worry, Leon. You know, just when you feel like playing something, f- play something. I'm sure it'll work. And you know, just just don't don't freak out about it or whatever. Yeah, I'm talking like when he was still in his young tw- early twenties. So then, but Herb Alpert said that then he would start to play something and it would be, quote, a special little groove that only Leon would sort of come up with. And before you know it, like within a take, the entire assembled band would be following Leon, you know, Leon was setting the rhythm and the time and the groove. So, yeah, he got a a huge musical education there.
1: Did that intimidation factor, it did wane. I mean, and it ended and, uh, uh, you know, and he became a lot more confident uh, in his abilities, did he know how talented he was at any point? Uh,
0: he would, uh, I, th- I, you know, there was a certain self-deprecation to him, and uh, it's hard to it's hard to know where his real insecurities and very real and deep seated uh, insecurities stop, yeah. and where his his Aw, shucks, I can't do that kind of you know yeah. maybe yeah, yeah. Uh, hum- humility kind of right. set in. I think there's a, a a real continuum there, and I I think he really did think he. He knew his limitations and he felt like a lot of what he did was just flash and and, and uh an illusion, he called it. And you know, I talked to AJ Croce, who's um, who's a, a great <clears throat> artist himself, but also is kind of a scholar of the piano. And he really explained to me because I'm not a piano player. And he explained to me like why why that would actually m- why Leon would think that would be true. And I said, "Is it uh, you know?" He said, "Sometimes the the most difficult sounding things were, are not actually that difficult, but sometimes the very difficult things you just don't know that they're that difficult as a as, oh, a, right, yeah. as a lay listener." And I yeah, said yeah, something yeah. like. Maybe, maybe Eddie Van Halen, right? He could he could do these tap on guitars, and it sounds like he's playing a billion notes per minute. And He is, but it, it's actually not that difficult to do if you've been playing guitar for a while. Whereas, you know, some chord stretchers or whatever are, are really the tricky things. So, yeah, I, I but I think I think Leon really suffered from stage fright, I, and just like he devised ways of playing piano to come or overcome that challenge he overcame ways of of making himself larger than life so he could actually just face going on stage like that
1: yeah yeah uh you know uh, i want to skip to towards the end of his uh, at the, uh to the end of his life uh really quickly i don't want to go through all the dark stuff it's all in the book but um after the induction into the rock and roll hall of fame um how much longer did he did he live after that that was
0: uh that was uh so another f- Five years or so.
1: How was the last part of his life? Was he was he was he grateful for for the career he had? Was he happy? Did he go out on a note where he was like, were were things okay when he when he, you know, unfortunately passed?
0: Oh, absolutely. Everything, um, everything was stable and his uh, he he kind of, (laughs) you know, his metaphor of, 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 of Elton finding him. On the uh, yeah, in a ditch on the side of the highway of life, right? Uh, you know, he brings him back to the highest stages. He says, but then uh, within within right after the record they did, the Union, uh, you know, Elton didn't want to just sort of check this off his to do list. He wanted to really continue this relationship with Leon. Uh, Elton and his manager Johnny Barbas, a legendary rec- record guy himself. Uh, wanted to oversee sort of executive produce Leon's career, but no, Leon wouldn't have it, <laughs> you know, yeah. Leon was set in his ways. He didn't want to get off the road and, and take two months to do a record. He could do it in two weeks. He said, um, so, you know, it's, uh, he, he, as I, I, I took that metaphor and said, yeah, he kind of jerked the car back into the ditch himself. You
1: know? Yeah. 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 Uh, well, I got, I got to say, uh, Bill, it's a great book. I just want to ask you, do you have a favorite story in the book? Just as just personally, I mean, I know, you know, the whole thing is a baby for you. It's like your baby and it took you a long time to do it. And it's an extraordinary piece of work, but is there, is there a favorite thing in the
0: book for you? I know there is. and I know I'm going to think about it after we sign off here.
1: Uh. (laughs) Well, what stands out? What's the first thing that comes to mind that you had the most fun, maybe writing or storing or, or was surprising to you?
0: Oh well, the, what was most surprising to me was the, and, and it's not as exciting as anything else. I mean, it, it's the extent of Leon's arranging ability. Mm-hmm. Like just as a musical geek myself, I uh, I, I knew he had been a session guy, a play a player, but I didn't know that he. I don't. I don't think I had known he had, had done arranging per se. But the the extent of his arrangement is just absolutely breathtaking on certain songs. Echoes by Gene Clark. Even the silly little song "Feeling Groovy," the Fifty Ninth Street Bridge song, uh, song by uh, Harper—it was Paul yeah. Simon's song—but yeah. Harper's bizarre. It's this amazing woodwind arrangement. But yeah, no, there's some fun stories. I mean, the the—I mean, one of the most obvious stories. I I didn't discover it, but I I certainly got an uh, one of the insiders' perspective it's this rashomon like story uh, like the film rashomon where this right. incident happens at the plantation it's a house where a bunch of these musicians live including including like, bobby keys was sort of there at certain points jj yeah. cale J. uh bobby Whitlock, uh taj mahal Jesse Ed davis and it was just uh, this this idea of of a big house in the san fernando valley where all these rockers are coming in and out and jamming and having girls coming in and out it's just I mean, you know, I I can't think of a more romantic (laughs) rock and roll story except for maybe the Stones in the South of France, you know? But somebody gets gets into a fight over a girl. And Leon writes this song after it called Shootout on on the Plantation because- this guy, Junior Markham, actually shoots a gun uh, – actually, I'm sorry, Gary Sanders shoots a gun yeah. to sort of break up this fight in this house, and it becomes a song. But trying to tease out the reality of what actually happened was actually a, a blast.
1: Yeah, I bet, man. And You mentioned Rajamon. That's hilarious because everybody has a different point of view and a different story about,
0: about what happened.
1: <laughs> it's amazing. Well, listen, man, I I can't tell you how much I love the book. I learned so much about him. Um, and it's so well, it's so well researched and and like I said, beautifully written. And again, you know, you mentioned that you, you know, that you, you're a lover of music and that is on every page of this book, man. You, you know, the, your love of music, uh, there's a real sense of joy in the writing of this book. There really is, man.
0: I really appreciate it. I'm, I'm glad it comes through.
1: It does. It absolutely comes through. And it's not only a great story about a great musician, uh, but it's just really well told, um and i loved it and i love and, and, and hey you know what else the new york times loves it the new york Times bestseller <laughs> list loves it
0: um, it's selling yeah
1: it is man god bless it that's amazing and it's brand new too you it didn't take very long for it to get on the new york times bestseller list no, only, it's, it's only been good, out for a couple of days right it was a good
0: first week yeah yeah man, watch yeah. it drop now I, but no, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully yeah, it so keeps selling
1: you can blame me if that happens she's like <laughs> I, I was on that goddamn nick's podcast that's why it dropped <laughs> Yeah, Um, uh, the master of space and time's journey through rock and roll history. Uh, Well, first of all, before we let you go, explain that subtitle.
0: Well, okay, yeah. So he 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 was he was given that sobriquet, uh, the master of space and time by Denny Cordell, his partner. Right. Uh, the producer they 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 went on to form. We didn't even get into Shelter Records, which put out J.J. Uh, Kale, Freddie King, and uh, a little band called Tom Petty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, and his Heartbreakers. I, I, we um, ch-
1: we didn't even break the sur- we didn't even chip chip the surface here. I'm telling you, but, but yeah. go ahead. So yeah, you- no.
0: So he gave him that. Uh, you know, there's this. Leon wrote his the debut song on his on his on his on his debut record is a song. I'm sorry, the the lead off track on his debut record is a song for you, which. Uh, became a gigantic standard and people are still singing it on an American idol today. Yeah. Uh, I think literally this year, they're still singing it. And um, he says, uh, I love you in a place where there's no space or time. And, and, and Denny took that. And, and also this sort of idea that Leon was this weird hippie char- charismatic guy that, that kept so quiet, but really could move a room with his eyes. And uh, he had this certain, you know, this ability to just come walk into a room and be a rock star before he was actually a rock star. And, um, uh, so all of that stuff. And, and then it became his, uh, the legend on his, on the liner notes of, um, of mad dogs and Englishmen. It's like everybody gets a little nickname. He's the master of space and time. So yeah, it all, it, it's, it's kind of got a multi-level to it.
1: There you go. All right. And the book is called Leon Russell, the Master of Space and Time's Journey Through Rock and Roll History. And it is it is that it is a journey through rock and roll history. And It's beautifully written by Bill Janovitz, And uh, if people can get it in the publisher and all that stuff, tell everybody where they can get it.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, your favorite bookstore uh, around the corner, hopefully, or your Amazon or, uh, you know, anywhere where good books are sold.
1: As we There say. you go. And it is available and it's out there now. Uh, Bill, so great to catch up with you again, man. I miss
0: you. Nick, I miss you too, man. Thanks so much yeah. for this time and space. <laughs> oh,
1: look at that. Look how you bring it to a close, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> All right, buddy. Uh, that's Bill Janovitz. The book is Leon Russell, the Master of Space and Time's Journey Through Rock and Roll History. It is a tremendous book. And I thank Bill Janovitz for joining me. And right now, let's say hello to uh, Esmeralda. Live. Esmeralda.
0: Yeah. Esmeralda. Esmeralda. By that asthma, Esmeralda Leon Yeah Esmeralda Yeah yeah Esmeralda Leo Yeah Yeah Get yourself some asthma Love me some asthma Esmeralda Leo Yeah Esmeralda
1: Yeah Esmeralda Esmeralda That's the theme by our uh, good friend Jason Skaggs, and that means Esmeralda's here. Hi, Esmeralda.
2: Hello.
1: How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? Good. Excited about uh, this coming Tuesday at Zany's in Rosemont? What's happening there? Well, uh, it's going to (laughs) be a live Nick D podcast with you and me on stage, having fun with the audience and giving away prizes and doing trivia and having laughs. Uh, Exciting! In and re- and, and recording, and our special guest is Rich Coase. Sven is going to be there. Sven Ghuli is going to be in the house. Berwyn. Yeah, he's not from berwin but that's uh, Berwyn. Berwyn. That's right. Uh, so yeah, Rich is going to be there. It's this Tuesday night, seven thirty. Uh, showtime, 6 30 Doors open. Uh, Tuesday, March twenty eighth at Rosemont uh, Zany's in Rosemont. Uh, so get out there. We got a special: buy one, get one ticket for people because I've been hearing a lot of people going, man, I, I'm a little broke. Can you do a thing? So, you know, since we're, we're close to the, uh, to the opening, the tickets are flying. We want to make sure mm-hmm. that uh, fans can get in there. And if you really want to come, we've got a little thing where when you go to rosemont.zanies.com to order your tickets, rosemont.zanies.com, just look for Nick D Podcast Live. Click onto that. It'll say buy tickets. Click onto that. And then you can buy your tickets. And if you type into the promo code box there, podcast Three that is p o d c a s t 2 3 all caps by the way podcast all caps podcast okay. 2 3 you can get one you can get buy one get one tickets which means half price basically so for Ooh. the people out there who were like man i don't have a lot of dough but i really want to see rich well now you got no excuse so uh, order those tickets now rosemont.zanies.com. use the promo code all caps podcast 2 3 and you can get buy one get one tickets for a big night and this is a rare thing rich just does, doesn't do this willy-nilly so this is a big thing this is a it's a very cool opportunity for you to be in the same room and to get to you know listen to the great Svengoolie tell stories and it's gonna be fun and oh he's to see... gonna
2: have some stories i'm oh, sure my God.
1: oh are you kidding me and and you'll get to see my dad get up on stage and do jokes with Svengoolie so that alone Woo! should yeah. be enough to get your ass out to zanies and rosemont this tuesday march 28th so uh, there you go. You can call 847-813-0484 for, uh, for tickets as well. So anyway, I'm very excited about it. I've talked to Rich. He's really excited. Um, it's going to be great. It's just going to be fun. And I only get to see Rich. This is fun, too, because I usually only get to see – I mean, we talk during the year, mm-hmm. you know, we'll, via social media. or we we'll text each other. We'll call each other. So we talk, and sure. we're, in contact, we're in contact with each other throughout the year. I've known the guy for over 30 years. But the only time I ever physically get to see him – is at the Flashback Weekend Horror Convention. As you know, you were there last year. You'll be there this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I get to see Rich every year, and I get to hang out with him, and I get to introduce him at the costume contest, and we get to do some bits on stage together. And it's always like the highlight of the year for me because Flashback Weekend is the highlight of the year for me. Like the entire weekend, it's my favorite part of the year every year. And my favorite part of that weekend is hanging out with Rich. But now I get to see Aww. him. Now I get to see him now you know, a few months before we're hanging out at Flashback, so. Yeah. And, and by the way, a lot and of... And it's I, a
2: little more intimate, I it would is, say. It
1: is, it is, it is. Because, you know, like, the, you're at a big hotel at the Hotel at the Hyatt Regency O'Hare, and, uh, you know, our big Q&A room is pretty big, and, it, and, and you know... Yeah. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, it's 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 one of those deals where you get to like, you know, it's it's closer and you get and he's not going to be in costume, by the way. He's he's going to be his alter ego. Right. Right. He's going to be rich. So you're going to meet the one, the only the creator of Svengulli, Rich Coase. But I always love to hang out with him. And and, and by the way, uh, some really great people from Flashback are going to be there. Uh, this this. Tuesday. Oh, nice. Yeah. Bringing out my flashback family, Mike and Mia and, and uh, you know, so many other people who, who work on the convention. And and Sean, who I work with on a regular basis, he's like the the visual guy who basically runs mm-hmm. the Q&A room with me and Steve Procopi and the mayor. I, I believe the mayor is coming. Well, he's not he's not actually the mayor. <laughs> oh, but uh, Don Johnston, we call him the mayor because he's like, yeah, if you want something done at that convention, especially tech wise or you want stuff to to go right, you go to Don, you go to the mayor. <laughs> I think he might be coming too. So we're going to have a strong representation of horror in that audience on Tuesday night from Flash. Nice. So, so it's going to be fun. Um anyway. So I'm excited about. It. You have plans for the weekend? Um I have a uh, a friend of mine
2: is having an uh, art closing.
1: Closing, okay. He
2: is um he's a bit of an artist and he was having all this month an art uh gallery showing i guess you could yeah. it's called yeah a show I don't he's got, got a art show people gonna, call it it's, it's a show um <laughs> it's a show yeah. yeah and it's closing this weekend so i'll be going to that
1: well here's the so. thing about that esmeralda you can't make it to the opening come to the closing there you that's, go that's well i series. went to both that's, actually well there you all right good for you good for you that's cool man that's cool yeah yeah man. Yeah. yeah so uh, what kind of art does this person do
2: um i don't know how to describe it um so here's here's uh his name is uh the 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 name he goes by for his art is lardo uh lardo and he yes so what he does is he dresses up as a pig like it's a full pig (laughs) costume that? that he wears and then it has a dollar sign chain (laughs) <laughs> uh-huh. and that's like in the art it's represented in the art okay um but it's all like really colorful almost um more like just designs and things mm-hmm. and then like lardo is in there but there it's it's like you know like he'll have like symbols and is things it painting like that. is it can is it paint it's canvas? painting, painting? Yes. yeah okay
1: all right
2: yeah cool lardo all right um yeah and he does he does a bunch of he's he's done murals and things um out in the city he's also done uh he had a piece at the kinsey institute i believe it's called okay um but it was under a different name (laughs) okay wasn't lardo (laughs) no uh his name is george larson so he also he also went by um did art under that name sure but his his alter ego lardo (laughs) is a different it's like different it's more um i guess you could say graffiti-esque
1: yeah that sounds like it so
2: then yeah so then he kind of does that Mm -hmm. with lardo and then like the other stuff was a little not straightforward
1: but (laughs) yeah so basically you and i are going to be hanging with people who have alter egos over the next week (laughs) <laughs> yes, so, exactly. That's that how it's work. You got Lardo and George, right? And then you've got yes. uh, you've got Rich and Svenghuli. So there you go. There it's, you go. It's, it's, it's alter mm-hmm. ego week for us. Okay, cool. <laughs> very, very cool. Now, does he ever say this? I'm a he doesn't do that as as Lardo. I ever...
2: <laughs> I don't think he has. No. Okay. No. Oh wait a minute. I believe not.
1: No. Okay. Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and I love Nick Show. Hi, Carrie. How are you? Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and I
2: love Nick Show. I
1: know you do, baby. By the way, have you seen the trailers for her new Netflix show? Um, I don't think so. No, no, I have not. It's called the Diplomat, and it's gonna Mm. kick all amounts of ass. It's like badass Carrie Russell. It's like Americans, Carrie Russell. Ooh. And she plays she plays a diplomat and just it uh, the the trailer looks fantastic it debuts on mm-hmm. on April twentieth and I have uh, I there's there is a local person who works with Netflix who I'm working with to try and get Carrie again on um, hi I'm Carrie hi Russell, Carrie and I, I know I nice. love Nick's I show know, baby all right go go hang <laughs> out. Um but I'm trying to, you know, we're going to try to get her on the, the podcast. Didn't work out the last time, and, 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 mm-hmm. and I didn't pursue it as, as hard as I wanted to, or I should have. Right. Because she was plugging Cocaine Bear, which is a piece of shit. So I didn't want to, like, <laughs> you know, like have her on and then go, yeah, that Cocaine Bear movie. Anyway, the movie you're supposed to be promoting right now, let's not talk about that. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's talk about Felicity and the Americans, if you don't mind. So uh, the studio would not have been happy, in other words, right. if I did not talk right. about it. So, but this thing looks great, and I have no doubt in my mind that it's going to kick ass. And ho- I'm working with the people at uh, Netflix to try and get Carrie Russell on the show. It debuts April 20th on Netflix, and it's called The Diplomat. And the trailer Ooh. is fantastic. I'm so excited. So, And it seems like, you know, it's, did you ever watch The Americans, Esmeralda? Uh, I watched a little bit of it. Because she's a total badass on that. Like, I remember when it first came out, yeah, people were like, yeah, yeah. This, is, this is Felicity? Because she does nasty shit <laughs> on that show. <laughs> Um, so anyway, and this seems like it's in that vein, you know what I mean? Like it's mm-hmm. badass Carrie Russell being a diplomat who's not going to take any shit. And I'm like, oh man, I am all over that. Ooh, nice. So anyway, uh, debuts April 20th on Netflix. So I'm excited about that. That's something to look forward to anyway. All right. Hey, uh, magic megaphone, uh, Esmeralda, you love this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's at this point now the requests are coming in and I get requests from people all the time who are like, I'm doing this for Esmeralda. They they literally have got, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well that's kind of them. (laughs) It's gotten to the point where people are giving me lines from movies or jokes or inside things or messages or clips or whatever that they want to hear through the magic megaphone out onto the podcast, get their names mentioned and all kinds of fun stuff. It's all fun. You know, you can be a part of the podcast and mentioned but a lot of the people are like, Esmeralda loves this thing, so let's do it for Esmeralda. So this is someone oh. who, who is doing it. <laughs> Richard in Palos Hills. Richard in Palos Hills mm-hmm. is the person who is getting the Magic Megaphone message requested today, mm-hmm. and he specifically said, uh, "I I am doing this because I know how much Esmeralda enjoys the Magic Megaphone." Well,
2: that's very yeah.
1: lovely. Okay, I really appreciate that. There you go. Yeah, I'm sure that's like a. Oh, I've been living, living this, I've been living my life in in hopes that someday someone would do a magic megaphone bit for me. That's what I've been... It feels, it feels (laughs) a little like um, Peter
2: Pan and um, (laughs) with, uh, oh my God, what's her name?
1: Tinkerbell? What's the...
2: yeah, with Tinkerbell, and they're like, you have to clap. Yeah, you have to clap you have so to Tinkerbell clap doesn't. have to make her come back.
1: <laughs> yeah, so she doesn't die. So Tinkerbell doesn't die. That's,
2: this is what it feels like. Okay. Like, you have to send in megaphone messages. Right.
1: You don't, want, you don't want Esmeralda to die, you know? So instead of clapping, you want to keep Esmeralda alive. You've got to go to nickdpodcast at gmail.com and give us your megaphone message request. Okay. Richard and Palos Heights, or sorry, Hills. I always say that wrong. Palos Hills. Uh, I will play it and then I will explain it, okay? So here is your magic megaphone message for this episode. Again, if you want one, you got to get yourself in there and request it for us. Here we go. I'm trying to sleep. I'm trying to sleep. I'm trying so, to sleep. Okay. I'm trying so, to sleep. This is, uh, this, all right, okay, all right. <laughs> well, the cop's going to show up. All right, so, um, I guess that's self explanatory, Yes. Um. Yes. Yeah. He's trying to sleep. But um, is it from
2: something, or he's he, just proclaiming?
1: He, he works overnights. Mm, okay, um. Okay. And sometimes his kids forget that. Ooh. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and and they come busting in, like if they got a day off of school or something, they come busting in. Uh. And they rake. They wake Richard up. And uh, right. And you know, Richard has said this. He said. He said. Um, I have said this to my kids at least 10 times a week. <laughs> I'm trying to sleep. So. I'm trying to sleep. And the other thing is he's not getting help from his wife who finds it very amusing. So there you go. That's the. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, you know. Yeah. Everybody needs a little something to keep them going, I guess. I guess
1: so. But now you now, you know, both of us, you know, we know what that's like, because we worked overnights for many mm-hmm. years. I worked overnights yeah. for shit for twenty over twenty something years. Um and then, you know, even before that when I worked at the Jewels, I was on the night crew for years from eleven PM to seven AM. Uh, so I know what it's like uh to, to work nights and but the thing is that about this, Esmeralda, you know, you know this. We have to be a lot more patient because we're the ones that have the weird schedule, not other people. You know what I mean? So when they're doing construction on the street outside at one o'clock oh, in the I afternoon, okay. at one o'clock yeah. in the afternoon, I can't bitch about it. You know what I mean? Right. Because <laughs> that's know, when normal s- people are up. Exactly. Like, this is. This is when it is acceptable to do right. the
2: construction. <laughs>
1: right. So when we are at the top of our game at 3, 4 in the morning, something like that, like Richard is in Palo's Hills, his mm-hmm. kids are asleep. But when the kids are at the top of their game at noon, Richard's in bed. You know what I mean? So it's, that is one of the curses and the, and the great give and take of working the overnight hours.
2: Yeah, although I feel like maybe Richard should go wake up his children at three in the morning. That would be
1: pretty fun. You know, he's, he's at work. Just... though.
2: He's at work. Okay, well I'm sure he gets home. I'm curious yeah. if he I don't he know gets what home, time if they're he did awake not, he, yet.
1: He did not give me his hours, uh, but he, yeah. he he said he works overnight. So I'm assuming I think you know,
2: if if he if they are still asleep, he should go wake them up.
1: Uh, yeah, that would, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it's just it's that's one of those things because we we've lived that that lifestyle for a very long time. Like it's like you know I would love to like show up at your house at two o'clock in the morning and just bang on the door and shit just to wake you know what I mean but again we're in the minority Esmeralda us third shifters we're in the minority (laughs) and we have to we have to accept our schedule as being weird and you know people banging on shit at noon as being okay
2: I say go wake up your kids that's right
1: I would say I would say (laughs) that
0: too or do this Ah!
1: that's right. Give them a taste of their own mess. That's right, you little bastards. So don't yep. don't, don't you get your dad's <laughs> message for Christ's I'm sake. I'm trying to sleep. That's right. I'm trying to sleep. All right, he's trying to sleep. All right, Richard. I hope you get some sleep, and thank you. And Esmeralda, thanks you because you dedicated this to to Esmeralda. So
2: yes, very kind. I'll right. be. <laughs> I get to live another day.
1: That's right. So there you go. And if you want Esmeralda to live, you got to leave <laughs> your your megaphone message. Uh, either at 773 417 6948 via uh, voicemail or uh, Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, and I know that Richard, at this point, uh, when his kids wake him up, likes to say this. Get the fuck out of my house. <laughs> That's exactly right. All yeah. right. Boring,
2: man, you're all feckin' boring. Yeah. With your piddling grievances over
0: nothing, you're all feckin' boring.
1: All right. Jesus. Um... Hey, when was the last time you've seen uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Esmeralda? I've never seen it. uh, Oh, okay. (laughs) Wow. All right. Uh, Because I saw it last night. Nice. Uh, They had a 35-millimeter print of it, a big screening of it, at the Gene Siskel Film Center down on State Street. Um, Hmm. And it was part of, they're doing a, a program called Scored by John Williams. And they're showing a a series of movies that are scored by John Williams because John Williams just turned 92. And the guy is is still scoring and he's in town with the CSO this week. And so in conjunction with that, the film center is showing the movies and they showed uh, Close Encounters last night. I fucking love that movie so, so much. Um, And seeing it last night, on 35 with a huge crowd. It was amazing. It was amazing. Um, but yeah, if you've never seen it you really should, Esmeralda. you you should. I mean it's it, I'm not the biggest Spielberg guy. I think Spielberg is one of the most massively overrated filmmakers of all time, but like you give me close encounters, you give me jaws, you give me 1941 and I'm happy. Uh, <laughs> but man, close encounters is so good and it's just so it's just so uh it's just great. And Melinda Dillon is in it who just passed away. Um, you know, mm-hmm. um, she's in it, and, I, and she's so great in it. it. was great to see her on the big screen again. First time I've seen her in a big, you know, movie, um, you know, retrospective since she passed. It was great, and the mm-hmm. crowd loved it. And and uh, Rebecca, who who was the programmer at uh, at the Film Center, Gene Siskel Film Center, mm-hmm. she's fantastic, and she does a great job programming that place. Uh, she did an intro beforehand and asked people to raise their hand if they've never seen it. And you would have fit in perfectly, Esmeralda, because there were a lot of people who had never seen that movie before.
2: Um, Well, that's kind of fun, though, to see it, though, for the first time you get to see it
1: in In an actual theater. theater. Yeah, yeah, 35 millimeter. And I'll tell you, I mean, a lot of young people go there because the the, the Film Center is part of the Art Institute, the School of Mm -hmm. the Art Institute, the School of the Art Institute. So a lot of film students, young people like in their early 20s, 19 through like 23, 24, a lot of youngsters. Uh, go there. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's the first time they've ever seen anything, you know? And it, it, and, I, and I always forget that. Like, when they all raise their hand, I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with you people? I was thinking, you know, like, how have you not seen <laughs> Close Encounters? Um, but these are kids, you know? And they're students. And it's like me, back in the day, like, I, you know, like, uh, I don't know, I hadn't seen uh, Bicycle Thief before, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that people who were in their 50s in 1982 when I was going to college, or 1983 when I was going to college, were like, what kind of a jackass has not seen, you know what I mean, had not seen that movie? <laughs> but I have to put my mind in that, that. These are kids. These are young people. They don't, you know, they've never seen this movie. was was made f- fucking 40 years before they were b- 30 years before they were born. So, but anyway, it was great. It was great. And they're yes. showing Superman this weekend because John Williams did the score mm-hmm. for that. And they're showing uh, Dracula with Frank Langella from 1979. And John Williams did the score uh, to that. And that's one, of my favorite John Williams. that's one of my favorite John Williams scores. That's on Sunday. I'm going to that, too. So very cool Ooh. stuff. Yeah. And then they're was, doing... Uh... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, and they're also doing a thing called... Uh, uh, I can't think it's called The Day in the Life. And they're mm-hmm. showing a series of movies that take place over the course of 24 hours. Like one day. So they're showing like Dog Day Afternoon, which is one of my favorite movies oh, of Oh, okay. They're well, showing... that's a neat idea. They're showing um, 25th Hour with your boy. Oh. Uh, and I'm going to that, uh, you know, uh, Edward Norton. Um, and that's my favorite Spike Lee movie of all time. You've seen 25th Hour, I would imagine, right? Cause, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because Edward Norton's in it, so I, I figured you'd saw it. Uh, and they're showing that. Um, and mm-hmm. they're sh- Man, I can't remember some of the other ones. Oh, they're showing Night on Earth. They're showing Run, Lola, Run. All the movies that take place, like, in a day. Um, yeah, that's really cool. It's really cool. And they're all, like, most of them are going to be 35-millimeter prints. and uh, And somebody has to wake up. <laughs> it's, it's, I um, <laughs> I plugged and unplugged my
2: alarm clock uh-huh. Because I don't use it for the alarm bit <laughs> But I never, I guess, turned that off
1: Right, I thought maybe okay. that was your cat One moment Okay, I thought maybe that <laughs> was your cat couple. Okay, go check it out Esmeralda's got to turn off her alarm Because apparently it's time for her cat to wake up But uh, while we're <laughs> While we're <laughs> While we're <laughs> While we're uh, while we're waiting on that, we can just uh, hear this. <gasps>
2: McRib is back.
1: That's right. All right. Well, are you awake now, Esmeralda? Are you awake? Okay. <laughs> are you awake now?
2: <laughs> yeah. Okay. Cool. I had I didn't even know how to turn it off. I touched that's a, how- of a few buttons and it didn't turn See, off. See that I that that's remember. how
1: much that's how much you don't use that alarm. Yeah, it, I don't didn't use, even it. Know I how to t- use it. I
2: only use it to charge my phone because it, ah. thi- <laughs> it has a oh, thing okay a cord to charge it so i never i true it's turned around ah like to that point that's how much i don't use it. i don't even look at it for the time <laughs> right
1: okay well <laughs> it there just we go sits there that's the alarm uh for uh for esmeralda all right cool well, anyway, uh, so, yeah, so all of those movies are, are, are being shown, like, the, a day in the life, uh, so that's, that's really cool. And I'm definitely going to 25th Hour. They're showing it twice. I think I'm only going to go once, but they're showing it twice. Uh, nice. So if people want to see it, you can check it out. It's at Gene Siskel Film Center. They do great stuff there. And also at the Music Box, they do great stuff. I got all my tickets for the Robert Zemeckis uh, retrospective. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Esmeralda, April 14th is when they're showing Who Framed Roger Rabbit. So, Very nice. Um, I fully expect you to be there because it's going to be magnificent. <laughs> and I have my tickets. Uh, 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 you know, I got them all, you know, uh, ordered and everything. I have 20 tickets uh, for the 20 movies I'm seeing in five days. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I've seen That's a lot 20, of movies. 20, 20 Robertson-X movies in five days. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm seeing all three Back to the Futures on that day. Back oh, to back wow. to back, man. Yeah. Yeah, man. Ugh.
2: So that's, like, a day, isn't it?
1: Well, yeah, and it's also, there's a movie after it. Uh, what Lives Beneath, I believe, is after it. So
2: No, but, it. like, the time
1: that Oh, well...
2: Kind well, of.
1: Well, te- yeah, I mean, technically it is, but... Because, like, you know, yeah, how long
2: y- does it take for them, like, they go back in time and stuff, but they literally go back to the same day, don't
1: they? They do, and then sometimes, well, they screw up at one point, so it's a different... Yeah, no, but it really is. I mean, if you if you want to be technical about it, that could fit into that category. Mm-hmm. It absolutely could mm-hmm. fit into that category. Yeah. Oh, those movies are so goddamn good. And I've and I'm going to see Used Cars twice. I don't care. It's the oh, it's, wow. it's the last movie. It's <laughs> the it's the second movie of the fest and the last movie of the mm-hmm. fest. And that's how I'm going to close my fest. Is I'm going goodness. Because <laughs> Used Cars is the funniest movie of all time. It's one of the greatest movies. Ever. It's the funniest movie ever made. Um, and to see it, on, you know, on the big screen, oh my god, I love it so much. But I love all of, awesome. uh, I love all of Zemeckis' stuff. It's ridiculous. April thirteenth through the nineteenth at the Music Box Theater. It's called the Cracker Jack Compass, uh, the works of uh, of um, Robert Zemeckis. And it's called Cracker Jack Compass because um, there is a compass that comes into the Cracker Jack box. Um. In Castaway, remember he's got the crackerjack mm. box in Castaway and Castaway, and the and it's a compass. And there's also a compass in um, Contact. So that's been a, a, a you know a, a kind of a thing in Zemeckis' movies. So, Ooh, yeah,
2: pretty cool. All right. Um, no, I was gonna say I went to um, I very I don't leave the house <laughs> during the week, but I went to go see some comedy. Oh, uh, okay. What'd you see? I saw some comedy on Wednesday. Okay some laughter was uh happening. Uh, it's okay. for this um it's this um show that's been going on since 2008 which I'm just amazed that to some, that a group of people keep a thing going that long and it would still be really hilarious. Uh it's this group called Comedians You Should Know. Yeah. And they're over at uh, Timothy O'Toole's. Uh and just awesome amazing comedy that I hadn't seen in a really long time. So it was, uh, comedians like Marty DeRosa, uh, Bobby Buds. Um, they was hosted by Adam Burke. Um, so it was all these people that I have, I've like, I've known them for a minute because, um, I used to do shows at a place called the hungry brain. Yeah. And so I got to know these people, but it was really great to see them and they're very funny people. And I think everyone should go. Um, It's every Wednesday, okay. Eight o'clock at Timothy O'Toole's downtown. Uh, Really funny stand-up, and then the bar's not bad for being a downtown place. I'm always amazed Um, by that place. They got food and and everything else. It's not like like horrific when you think of like downtown bars. Yeah, that place is uh, pretty cool.
1: It was. I I've gone there several times. I've gotten drunk at that place many many times. Uh, So. Um, and it's in a basement which is also uh, mm-hmm. I like yeah. bars I like bars that are when you got to go downstairs to get into them I like that um but no I've been to Timothy O'Toole's a million times it was a it was a place when it was a place where um a lot of people from GN would meet like if we wanted to grab a drink oh uh, yeah Timothy yeah. O'Toole's it's not very far so we would go there but beside the, uh, that was the only bar in the downtown area that I would choose to go to except for Rossi's um, Rossi's, mm-hmm. Rossi's was the only bar that I went to on a regular basis downtown because it's a dive and uh, have you ever yeah, gone to Rossi's of course that's yeah, my fa- it's without question my favorite bar downtown because <laughs> 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 it's a total dive and it's the kind of bar that I love but the other bar that I would go to regularly was Timothy O'Toole's when I was a drinking guy I love that place so, so that's cool, when is it again and how often do they do it? it's every Wednesday so they every do it Wednesday.
2: every Wednesday at Timothy O'Toole's uh, and tickets are fairly cheap. They're about like fifteen bucks. Yeah. Um, and usually there's like a little discount code. Like once it gets closer and stuff like that. Right. Um, but everyone should go. They do one every Wednesday. Cool. It probably goes till about ten or so. Like, and it's a very intimate little space. It's mm-hmm. it's in one of the smaller rooms, but it's really good. Like the energy and the comedians and just everything is so good. It was so good. I had a good you, time.
1: Cool. Good comedy Wednesday nights Timothy O'Toole's downtown. Yes. Very
2: comedians cool. you should know.
1: Absolutely. And I and uh, you know I I I've I've heard of many of them that you mentioned and they're all very funny people. So. And yeah, Timothy, yeah, O'Toole's. They, and they, Timothy O'Toole's is a great they place. They
2: do get a lot of um, they have solid local uh, comedians, but mm-hmm. they will um, sometimes have people come in uh national national acts. Yeah. Famous famous yeah, yeah. comedians drop yeah. in. So that's always a possibility when you go to one of
1: those shows. And again, uh at, at Timothy O'Toole, terrific bar, and they do have food. They have good food and uh it's a cool place. I uh, know and some buffalo
2: uh, egg rolls. I I uh,
1: oh those are good. Those are good. Buffalo chicken egg rolls. They were yeah, delicious. Man. Um and uh although that is not a place that I would go to uh on St. Patrick's Day. Um, they, I mean, yeah. I yeah, mean, like you said, yeah, it. it's an Irish, <laughs> yeah, it's an Irish, yes, but it's also an Irish bar. So that's but right. Um, but but like that was also like a place where a lot of uh radio people would hang out on St. Patrick's Day. Let's just say that. Oh. So okay. yeah, yeah, cool place though. All right, cool. Hey, uh, we were talking about uh, solutions that we think fix problems, but only make them worse.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: So uh you were looking at this I was looking at this. What about this? Now let me ask you this. Do you ever drink Red Bull? Are you a Red Bull person?
2: Every once in a while when the situation is dire and I need to be awake, mm-hmm. I will drink a Red Bull. But it must be no sugar because if it's got the sugar, I get all jig- or jiggly. I get all <laughs> You get jiggy with it? You get jiggy with it? I get all like I get all shaky. Because okay. it's just no, too much sugar.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's also a shitload of caffeine. Um, yeah. Yeah. But but uh, it says in this article here that many energy drinks such as Red Bull advertise a chemical mm-hmm. called taurine.
2: Yeah. I don't know what that is. I always uh, as, see it, though. Uh,
1: it says as an active ingredient. But there's little to no evidence that taurine in the amount present has any effect on the body. Because basically the only active ingredient of well, Red Bull is a shitload of caffeine.
2: So then... Why is it in is there?
1: That, is that, by the way, is that Max in the background? Oh, Jake. Jake, sorry. Why
2: did I say Max? Um, Yeah, he's outside the okay.
1: room, so okay. I think he's a little. <laughs> he heard the alarm. He knows you're awake. Now he's outside the room <laughs> going, hey, you have some Red Bull for me? Does he want a Red Bull? Does Jake, does Jake want a Red Bull? He has
2: plenty of Red Bull. <laughs> okay.
1: So what were you gonna say about? He's the... Red Bull naturally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What are you you gonna say that uh, about? You were gonna say something about Taurine or or? Uh,
2: well, I have no clue what it is. It's I just, don't either. Like it's in there, but then so now I'm like, why is it in there? Yeah. If it doesn't do nothing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's just Red Bull. Clearly, uh, uh is you know uh, nothing but caffeine. I right. I, I stopped bartending like my my time period for ending my 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 time as a bartender was right around the time when the Red Bull mixed drinks became popular.
0: Yeah. So I kind of missed that
1: whole thing. You know what I mean? Like they just started to get popular when my tenure as a bartender ended. Right. Uh, so I didn't have to deal with it for like months or years or, you know, uh, it was like, at that time it was like vodka and Red Bull was the big one. Um, and that was before it became like a thing to mix a bunch of liquor with a bunch of Red Bull. Um, yeah, and I've never. Do you ever, do I have mean, you ever it's
2: really sweet. Um, so to put booze in it, like it help, you know, you know what I mean? Like it works, I guess. But then yeah. you don't. No one remembers that it has. Yeah, you know all that caffeine. <laughs> right, and then you're just mixing uppers and downers.
1: That's exactly right. It's 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 insane, and I and I would see people like do it on a regular basis. You know. Um, I mean, I had stopped. Multiple
2: bartending. times, I'm assuming.
1: Yeah. And I had stopped. So you don't bartending. just have one. No, no, no. You have many. <laughs> you have many. Oof. And and uh, yeah, I, I remember when uh, when um my friends and I went to go see the Big Lebowski when it came out. Mm-hmm. Um, we went on a white Russian kick because that's what <laughs> that's what the dude drinks. Well, that he must drinks. have
2: been fine for you because you drink your gallons of milk every day.
1: Yeah, well, yeah. Except that, that that's a drink that will destroy you the next day. I mean, the amount of liquor that I used to intake, Esmeralda, because you know, I mm-hmm. mean, the, like I had a you know a, an incredible tolerance for booze, and I could drink a lot of booze. Um, and so, but I remember when we were like, "Yeah, hey, it was funny." Big Lebowski he drinks. He calls them Caucasian, so we would like, "Hey, let's have a Caucasian," you know, because that's what the Big Lebowski would call them. Uh, mm. the dude would call him and so we went on a kick for a, for about a month of drinking you know like nothing but white russians at simon's because that's when we were all hanging out at simon's oh let's have a caucasian and jesus christ the the hangovers you get on those oh my Oof. god because of the Kahlua and because of the cream that adds you know to it uh you know and it and it tastes like ice cream you know what i mean like those mixed drinks yeah. that, you know, like some of those mixed drinks, you don't know how how much they're going to knock you on your ass or destroy you with a hangover the next day. I mean, day. that's
2: that's usually the scary. But like, if you can't taste anything, you're like, oh yeah. no, yeah. It's either and too it's either too light on booze or a lot of booze.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, and Kahlua's got booze in it, you know, and uh, yeah, you know, and you've got White White Russian is Kahlua, cream, and vodka. Um, and we would drink the shit out of those things, man. And then like the next day, the next day I'd wake up and go, Oh, you know, because you got all that cream and shit in, in there. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that was a little kick for a little while, about a month. We were all drinking Caucasians because of the big Lebowski (laughs) and it did not turn out well the next day. Let me just, let me me just say that. And I can't imagine. How it feels the next day after drinking a bunch of Red Bulls and vodka. I can't Vod- even imagine. Vodka,
2: Red Bulls. I, yeah, I couldn't tell you. Um, apparently, there are health benefits to taurine. Oh. Um, it's pro- I mean, I doubt you have enough in a Red Bull. In a Red Bull,
1: Bull right. <laughs> right. But,
2: so I wouldn't, you know, like, hey, just keep drinking them Red Bulls. Right. Uh, but I guess it's good for you. It supports healthy heart function. Oh, it okay. Also so,
1: that, so promotes so that could,
2: healthy cognitive function for your ah, brain.
1: so that okay. So all of that is canceled out by the amount of caffeine, which is bad for your heart and bad for your cognitive functions. So that's yep. good. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> that makes. Total sense. You put something that's good for your heart in a drink that's unbelievably bad for your
2: heart. Yeah. Uh, okay. I'm I'm curious. Like, what <laughs> it was that they were just like, let's throw in some taurine.
1: People yeah. will love it. <laughs> I think it was maybe maybe legally they had to. Maybe it was like we're going to kill people, so put some taurine in here to to, to counterbalance. No one the knows fact, what that is. Yeah. To put some taurine <laughs> in there, say that it's in there, and it'll counterbalance the fact that if you have like ten Red Bulls, your heart's going to blow up. I maybe that'll.
2: Oh Lord it's yeah that is um i don't know yeah i don't I like i said i can only have the sugar free because with the sugar it just gets i, I get imagine. too shaky
1: i can't imagine I, it
2: just too much yeah. for me um, by the time by the time hey by, i'll
1: say it works by the time <laughs> um um by the time red bull really kicked in you know and was popular i had quit drinking mm-hmm. or not drinking i had quit caffeine yeah. Uh, so I never. I've had a Red Bull before I quit caffeine. I had, and I've had, I've had, I've I had actually two Red Bulls, one and a half, I should say. Okay. Because the first time I was like, "What the fuck?" You know, I drank it because it was, it was like late or something. I needed to drink it, and it, I think Red Bulls taste terrible. And I, and I drank it. I was like, "Ugh!" And then I got through a half of the next one, and uh, the the one time I had a full Red Bull, like you said, I was like. Beside myself, I was like shaking, yeah, and like, it was you're, awful. Yeah,
2: you're just glowing awful. at yeah. a
1: certain point if you have too much. I you're just like ah. no, I, li- I I literally at one point I was like, I'm having a heart attack right now. I can't. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I quit caffeine because I was having such a, a terrible, and I I have high blood pressure anyway, and so, you know, um, so I quit caffeine. Oh, actually, I quit caffeine before I got diagnosed with high <laughs> blood pressure. So, <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, so Red Bull uh does not it's not good for you that's the, the you think it's you think a solution <laughs>
2: newsflash
1: right yeah, red bull so this. Red that's Bull's it. not good for. it is not a good solution to a problem or a, you can never go you know what you know what will solve this problem a fucking red bull will solve this problem no that's not i mean i will say it does work though it's <laughs> like
2: when you are sleepy yeah. and you need to be awake that yeah well, I go listen, Red Bull because I, I, the other ones are just useless. I in worked my with
1: I've worked with a couple of producers, you know, because I did overnights. I worked with a couple of producers mm-hmm. who were big into. Or they, one one of them did Red Bull, did drink the Red Bull, yeah. Uh, and this guy was a dickhead. I won't get into it, but um, <laughs> but the other one drank the Monster stuff.
2: See, those to me, they don't do. They don't do. They don't do anything. Uh, that's t- t- Tom. Tom Hush. You got to – see, for me, I just – I never – those are, for me, more juice than anything. If I really need to be awake, I'm going to have a Red
1: Bull. <laughs> yeah, he would go monster. That was the one that he went with. Mm. Um, And it was pretty regular, like when we were working overnights together. I don't know if he still does that. He doesn't because I visit him every almost every Friday at the Steve Cochran show. Yeah. Uh, he, he seems
2: does. to be a responsible morning person. He is. You know?
1: He is. I mean, he has to get up at, like, 3. You know, because yeah. um, the show's over by nine. So, you know, three o'clock, you need a little pep in your step. So I think he might do a monster at the beginning, but I know he does coffee during the show. Ah, uh,
2: OK. But on That's my right. show, when we were
1: doing when we were doing overnights, he was the monster man. He would drink the monster. Mm. So but apparently the, yeah, and I, I, and hmm. I think Jake needs a monster. I think Jake needs a monster. Yeah. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway. All right. Wow. Hi, Jake. Can, can you let him in? Will he be okay if you let him in? Um, Yeah. Let him in. Give me a minute. Yeah, let him in. Let Jake in. We want Jake to be a part of the pod. Jake is uh, Esmeralda's cat. And uh, and we, we're very inviting to everybody to participate in this podcast. Uh, we encourage Jake to call our voicemail at 773-417-6948 or to email me at nickdpodcast at com. And there he is. Now, is he okay now? Is he Is he better? Is he better now, Esmeralda?
2: Okay, he is inside.
1: Is he okay now? He must be happier now. Yeah. Okay, good. All right. Hey, just in time uh, for tasting candy. Maybe maybe Oh, uh, there you go.
2: Yeah. Do you want some, Jake?
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's why he was at the door. He's like,
2: I know you got candy.
1: You guys are gonna Although he
2: doesn't eat any he doesn't eat candy. He doesn't doesn't eat eat anything. It makes me so sad.
1: He doesn't eat any human food of any kind, no. None. No. He don't care okay. for it. He does right. not care for it. Well, you can it. offer him some Mexican candy. <laughs> what are we taste testing today on the Mexican candy? Uh
2: so we have uh, one that we've we've tried something similar, but this is a little different iteration of it. Uh-huh. This is the Lucas Squinkles. Swinkles. Uh, squinkles. Squinkles, yes. I we love had these, these, sal- these. salsa Yeah. These are the squinkles. I love these. Uh the they're called rellenos, which just means stuffed, like filled. Right. So these are supposed to mimic. So before we had sal spaghetti, which is spaghetti. Right. These are like what would you call that pasta shape?
1: Um. Well. Uh, elbows. Uh, yeah, elbows. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. So they're now a
2: so, uh, rotini? No, no, not rotini. No, those not are those. rotini.
1: It's the it's the it's the uh, it's the it's the hollow ones. It's the it's the circular it's the long tubes that are that have a hollow middle. Good job, yes. And I'm Italian. I'm so, <laughs> I'm supposed to know this, you know. Uh, they, the
2: long tubes that.
1: Are, yep. That have, but they have a hole in the middle. They're they're they have a hole in they the do. middle.
2: <laughs> they are hollow. A,
1: as a as a, no, they're hollow, as opposed to spaghetti and linguine, which are not. Uh, you know.
2: You're gonna but, get a bunch of Italians and be like, really? Yeah,
1: they're, they're hollow uh,
2: tubes.
1: Yeah, but that's what the but there is a name
2: there is a name yeah Uh, (laughs) we'll just go with hollow tubes whatever they're (laughs) called um so these are the squinkles um and they they're supposedly spicy they're pineapple pineapple tamarind
1: they're uh it's bucatini
2: there you go there you go bucatini so these are supposed to mimic that pasta but 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 they're filled
1: They're it's like bucatini but they're filled Okay. Yes. And now, but the last ones that we tried, the spaghetti ones that we tried, mm-hmm. they, they had like the, the packet of the sauce that you're supposed to dip.
2: Right. They did and- have a salsa, but I believe this is kind of now that it's in it's in I got the it. noodle.
1: Okay, well, let's try it.
2: Mm. It's not as saucy, but, you
1: know. It's hot. It's got a nice mm. kick to it. Oh man, mm. these are so good! I gotta say,
2: I really do get a pineapple. I That's
1: do too. Quite nice. I'll, I gotta say, these Lucas things are great. Every yeah. one of them, um, and I love the the ones that come with the salsa that you dip into it. You got some nice fruity, yeah. you got some nice fruity candy flavor, and then a nice bit of heat on the end. It's re- these are great. Mm-hmm. This is my this is my favorite of all the, of all the Mexican candy that we've tried. The Lucas Company with the crazy duck and the sunglasses. Yeah, he's really cool. He's very cool. He's a cool duck. He's got sunglasses. <laughs>
2: exactly. He's got sunglasses and his arms are crossed on yeah. the label.
1: That's right. That means, what are you going to say to cool. me? Man? Yeah. Exactly. You got, some, you got something I'm to say Lucas. to me. I got sunglasses on and my arms are crossed, so fuck off. You know what I mean? That's, that's what he's saying. But exactly. no, this stuff is. These, every single thing I've tried from Lucas with the duck is fantastic. Mm-hmm. I love it. I mean, it, it's, it's. Yeah. They, it's are so a, good.
2: they are a good candy so good. um they're a good i am uh i'm glad that they're representing mexican candy it's so good they do and a so, very good job
1: if you are looking for some really tasty stuff man lucas um this is the squinkles we had the spaghetti um and um and the the like i said the mascot is a cool duck crossing his arms with sunglasses on just look for that lucas and you will not go wrong like every piece of candy i've tried from that company is delicious
2: yeah and they all do like they do like the fun stuff where it's like you could dip it into things, right? Or like this, the spaghetti—you pour yeah. salsa
1: over. It's it. It's delicious. It's delicious. That's great, and it's fun, it's interactive. And it's, it's great. <laughs> All right, now what's the next thing we are trying?
2: Now this is a whole different thing. This is a very classic candy. This is um, essentially milk fudge. Mm-hmm. Um, in Spanish, it's called camoncio,
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, but it's essentially a milk fudge. Uh, that's made with it's you know milk, it's brown sugar, condensed milk, vanilla extract. So it's really simple. Mm-hmm. But um, this is like a classic, a very classic it's, recipe it's, now, candy.
1: Uh, just to, to give people sort of a visual, it's like a, a a bar. It's a light brown in color, tan in color. Yeah, it's a bar, and it's it's shaped like a churro.
2: Yes, it's and got this, a churro. Of it's got course, the- it's fudge. So yeah. it comes in different. It'll come in different iterations,
1: squares. Yeah. So it looks. It looks uh, like a churro with the grooves in it, but it doesn't have powder on it. So you know what I mean. It just looks. Right. It looks like a plain churro. Is how is what it yeah. looks like.
2: It's like a little mini churro, but it's right. essentially milk fudge. So it's going to be pretty, um, pretty sweet, okay. but uh, rich. It's going to be okay. very rich.
1: Here we go. Hmm.
2: These are oh. some of my favorite.
1: Oh man, this is good. Like
2: the flavor is so nice.
1: Oh my god! And there's this is something.
2: telling me about how like it melts. Mm-hmm. Oh, they're so good. Oh. Yeah. So whenever eat, you go to I, a Mexican, I, man. Whenever you go to a Mexican store, they mm. usually have these up front at the counter, like in a little box, and you get to <laughs> you can just take oh. them. They might have like a little bag there for you, let but me, let me tell you something. Yeah, I you could just kind of take them.
1: I could eat this shit all day. I'm not kidding. Both yeah. of these. Both of these, the squinkles, and this. I. Oh my god. I would not recommend it, because you would get
2: the worst um, stomach ache really? mixing milk fudge and, um, you know, just like sweet, spicy yeah. tart candies.
1: Yeah. Well, you know what? <laughs> I don't give a shit. Look, I spent I spent a month drinking uh, white Russians. I'm good. That's true. I, I, Your stomach
2: <laughs> is now hardened.
1: <laughs> That's right. And I also eat these.
2: Look, <gasps> rib is back.
1: That's right. Just throw them all into one sandwich. Throw them all into one sandwich, and then you're on the toilet going... Ah! That's it. <laughs> All right. Well, but very good cool. Separate, I think. Yeah. God, this. I'm so, just no, saying, that... don't mix. Don't mix. Don't them. mix. Don't mix your Mexican candy. <laughs> your stomach's candies. not don't gonna mix. like yeah. you. It's not gonna be good. All right. Well, that was fun. That was really tasty. We got more Mexican candy that we're gonna do. We'll finish mm-hmm. off the uh, solutions to uh, more problems um, uh, uh, that coming up a little bit uh, later and on the next episode. Dan Feinberg is gonna join us for our nice. biweekly talk about TV. Uh, lots of new TV, including a new show I can't wait to talk to him about, uh, created by Donald Glover, called Swarm. Mm. Called Swarm. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, is it good. <laughs> oh, man. So we'll talk about that and more. Uh, so thanks, Esmeralda. You rule. Um thanks. Thank you. St- Thank you, thank you to everybody who is listening. Again, if you want to sponsor us uh, and be a part of us advertising, while well, sales, ra- sales at radiomisfits.com. Voicemail us 24-7-773-417-6948. Emails with any comments, anything you want, Podcast at gmail.com. My thanks to Jason Skaggs. My thanks to Ed at radiomisfits.com, uh, where you can find a ton of uh, podcasts that you should rate and review on every platform and give us feedback, too. And also, my thanks to Bill Janowitz, the author of Leon Russell, The Master of Space and Time's Journey Through Rock and Roll History. Make sure you pick up that book. And we will talk to you next time on the Nick D Podcast. Thanks, everybody. The wind is red right on me.